Welcome to the Healthcare Weekly Podcast, where you can learn about the innovative ideas and technologies reshaping the healthcare industry. Join over 150,000 monthly readers and listeners all over the world. Each week, we sit down with some of the most brilliant minds in healthcare to learn what the future holds. The Healthcare Weekly Podcast, healthcare innovation starts here. Welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Weekly Podcast. I'm Peter Narstein, CEO of Digital Authority Partners and Healthcare Weekly. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of speaking with uh, Nate uh, Peltzer. He's the founder at Clinify Health, a Chicago-based health technology company. Clinify is an analytic solution that helps hospitals and payers drive improved patient management and better patient outcomes by optimizing various forms of communication in order to provide individualized and personalized care for patients. And Nate, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Nate, when we talk about data in a healthcare system, what I often see is a lot of people, both from an insurance point of view, hospital point of view, being very confused because there's so much data that is available, right? Like 10, 20 years ago, we would have been talking about like, I cannot access any data. Today, we're talking about too much data and a difficulty in making sense of what this data does and what it means. So uh, can you talk about how Clinify Health works, how you're collecting various data points and how those are mapped onto the decision-making process for doctors and hospitals? Sure. So we start from the perspective that, you know, a patient's health outcome is really driven by the socioeconomic factors that they face. So we have a robust repository of social data points that we then tie to clinical information which we get from uh, provider electronic health records. And we take that combination of data and create essentially applied health signals to help the providers know what a patient needs from both a clinical perspective to manage their condition, but then also from a social perspective, because most of the patients that have, you know, readmission issues or using the emergency department in sort of a primary care fashion have those exacerbations when they're outside of the clinic walls. So from our perspective, using the key social factors, when you think of like income, transportation, housing, anxiety level, food insecurity, we try and grab the most important data sets from the social side, and then we do the same on the clinical side. We don't uh, try and address every unique or very high acuity condition. We try and address the most common chronic conditions. So for us, even though there's thousands of data variables available both on the socioeconomic side as well as on the clinical side, we try to make correlations between some of the key attributes that are affecting patients in a social setting and a clinical setting. So there is a lot of noise. It's easy to get bogged down in the noise. It's easy to get false positives on certain premises that you have. We try to simplify our approach and some of the algorithms we use and build upon them from the ground up as opposed to wading through all of the data that's available and trying to drive top down to the appropriate intervention or solution for a patient. So the idea of using social determinants, which is uh, population health data and other statistics that are specific to a more micro level group of people, there's of course a lot of pros and cons uh, around that. So I do want to ask you, how does your solution account for bias when it comes to social determinants 
I was literally watching a documentary last night about how financial systems in this country have programmatically discriminated against African-Americans and immigrants when it comes down to giving them lines of credit just based on social economic data. So I'm curious in a health setting, how things may be different or even similar. Yeah, no, it's a good question. And it's easy to think of social determinants of health from a number of different perspectives. And depending on the perspective that you're looking at it from, you can get pointed in the wrong direction or the right direction. So we supplement the analytic side of our platform, which looks at, you know, geolocated based information, zip code level information on populations with direct feedback from patients. So we have, you know, health risk forms that patients are digitally filling out that supplement the analytic side so that we can say, you know, even though your information on a zip code level looks like you're in this sort of a, you know, transportation area, you've written down in your health risk assessment form that transportation is not an issue for you. So it's a little bit of a belt and suspenders approach to make sure that we're not letting the noise of aggregated data that's usually averaged out impact the care of one specific patient without giving consideration to the actual facts that that patient is telling us around their social condition and their clinical conditions. That's an interesting approach, and I'm sure it works provided that patients actually fill in these questionnaires? Like what percentage of patients actually do that? So in the providers that we work with, we integrate it directly into the workflow, usually in in an ambulatory or outpatient setting. So we've had the completion rate upwards of 60% for a lot of the digital health risk assessment forms. And then we have different patient engagement methods, whether it's via email, via text, to try and nudge them to get that number higher. But it's something that we're continually trying to do and improve upon across the healthcare industry. Engaging with patients on, you know, forms that they fill out has been a problem. We've all filled out forms in the doctor's office. Every time we go, we never know what happens to them. So there's a little bit of, I think, from the patient's perspective, a view of why am I filling another form? Is this useful? And we try to educate both the providers we work with and the patients that they work with on why this information is meaningful and how it ties into their care plan overall. And we've seen good results that, you know, once patients have an understanding of why we're collecting the data, how this data is helping inform their provider and their overall care, that they seem more willing to take the time to give us the information that we're looking for. So that works for this 60%. What happens when people do not provide those social determinants, how does the algorithm work and what type of decisions are made in order to still provide doctors with information? So like one way I can think of off the bat is if you cannot collect social determinants, then your confidence score when you provide doctors with a diagnostic plan or treatment plan may be lower, but I'm not sure exactly how it works in practice within your solution. Yeah, it is. And then we try and put stop gaps in place so that doctors aren't assuming that if we're just getting social uh, factors from the database without getting the patient input, that those social factors are absolutely correct. So, you know, instead of uh, if a patient were to give us feedback that they have to make a decision between buying medications or food, uh, if we didn't have that answer directly from them, the physician could look at our insights and say, you know, one of the things that we're concerned about is you live in an area where the average income level is, you know, 20000 a year is 
purchasing medication a, a challenge for you. So that's really where healthcare will never get away from human to human interaction. And we try to coach our providers that look, the reports and insights that we provide can be helpful, but you have to validate directly with the patient what they're facing. If we don't have that information from them via the digital form, we can't solely rely on aggregated statistics, especially when you start talking about, you know, statistics that can be relatively old, right? We're in 2020, there's going to be a new census. I think a lot of models, ours included, and we're we're constantly thinking about this, are going to be really flipped on their head when the new census data comes out because there are assumptions being pushed through on data that's, you know, 10 plus years old at this point. So we try and bridge that gap by just having the providers be very aware on what we're directionally indicating with our data insights, but to make sure that they're validating from the patient that it's accurate or nearly accurate, as opposed to just relying solely on resources that are, you know, aggregated means of data sets. Yeah, you're raising a very good point, which is many companies may be operating with information that's 10 years old. And I was just thinking, especially when it comes down to the controversy around Trump asking for the citizen question, how the census data may actually be even more wrong next year. I'm sorry, this year. So it'd be interesting to see what really happens when the data is collected, because to your point, a lot of assumptions are predicated on this data. One thing I want to do is go back a little bit. You had a very interesting example, which is based on where a person lives, uh, you can infer kind of what their social economic status is. So I'm sure, you know, I used to live in High Park when I went to University of Chicago. If I used to live in, let's say, in Woodlawn, then your predictions would be very different. And your specific use case was if the doctor knows the uh, patient lives in an at-risk community where they may not be able to afford medication, they could do what, right? I'm trying to kind of establish your solution to an insight, but then to an outcome that a doctor can actually act on based on the information being collected. Yeah, sure. So another part of of our platform is a repository of all the social services available in a given market that we're working in, right? So if, uh, you know, a doctor noticed that the patient was well below the 200% below poverty line, they were on Medicaid, they had, you know, three or four dependents, and maybe it's a single parent, the platform will actually indicate to them where there's opportunity to perhaps receive uh, food from a food pantry or where there's mobile food pantries. Again, it is indicative of a solution that could be put in place, but we have the, the physicians verify this with the patient. But you're right, at the end of the day, where the rubber meets the road is in the actual delivery of the intervention to the patient to drive the outcome. So sometimes we partner with third parties, whether that's home health agencies, whether that's community health workers, to say, hey, these are what the inserts are driving. These are what we think appropriate interventions are be should be. Can you help us you know, go that last mile and deliver the care or, or drive the intervention that we need to see the change in health um, gap closure that we're trying to get with these patients. So at the end of the day, it really is uh, one resource or another, whether it's the hospitals or a third party that is making sure that the patient is getting what they need because technology in isolation is, you know, uh, just great insights. So we do need to make sure that we're working with people that are actually engaging with the patient to use the insights appropriately. That makes total sense. 
So I was recording a podcast with another guest just uh, last week, and uh, their solution is in um, many hospitals uh, across the nation. It was interesting. One of the things that he was bringing up is how hospitals are are fed up with so many new solutions that just show up and may or may not integrate with what they currently have. And just coming back to Clinify Health, you are presenting your platform as being HR agnostic, which of course means significant more integration opportunities and more seamless transition to leveraging your solution in a hospital setting. But then I, I have to ask, when we say HR agnostic, to mean it can work with any of the you know 30 to 50 EHR platforms out there, or that you integrate, you're able to integrate through APIs with any EHR that provides that integration, how does it work from a technical point of view, just the integration component? Yeah, no, that's a great question. It's a question we get a lot. So what EHR agnostic means is that we are largely able to work with most of the EHRs in the marketplace today. So definitely, you know, the brand name EHRs that take up 80 to 85% of the space, your Epic, Cerner, Allscripts, Athena. And that's because with our database, we tie directly to the variable structure in the EHR. So we are able to get that push and pull of data because of the way we approach the setup. Now, if we've not encountered this, but I'm sure there's very old EHR systems out there that would be more of a challenge to integrate to. But for us, that was key number one when we uh, started the organization, when we developed the product, was we wanted something that wasn't limited by what platform a provider may or may not be on today. So with us, it's seamless. The integration takes place up front. We're able to get the data real time into our system. And then with our insights, we're able to actually push it back into the EHR of the providers so that we're not interrupting their workflow as they're doing their clinical documentation. They can look at our uh, reports, whatever it may be, whether it's the care plan or specific population health reports while they're in the EHR without having to jump back and forth between systems. Because we, as you mentioned, we know that there are a lot of vendors and a lot of different systems and adding another one to that is probably more harmful in terms of efficiency than helpful. So when your platform is integrated with these EHRs, can they see insights directly into the EHRs or they still have to log in into your platform to get those insights? So we can't actually see or manipulate data in EHRs. We can only get feeds of the data back from the EHR. And then we have the ability to push our information in various modes, whether it's reports or whatever, into their EHR in specific places. So the view is from our platform, they can see Clinify platform uh, standalone, but there's no ability to look in the EHR and see into Clinify platform or reverse, you know, look into Clinify and see what's going on or manipulate anything in the EHR. It's purely just a feed of push and pull of data. That makes sense. So we've talked about a little bit what physicians see, right? So they will see a patient record with some determinations and suggestions on on how to deal with with that patient. So can you talk about specifically the patient level? Like, are there like four, five, six, ten insights? How many insights can I actually get as a doctor? And what are some of the conditions most likely to result in getting actionable insights? 
Yeah, so we work with uh, some of the most common chronic conditions. So hypertension, uh, you know, hyperlipidemia or high cholesterol, diabetes, COPD, CHF, asthma. And from uh, the patient's perspective, they can, they are able to then see, you know, what education materials we have on that condition so that they can understand their condition, how to treat and manage it. Uh, but they're also able to see things like when they need to come in for visits, what tests they need to have done on a regular basis, what some of their vital results have been in a time series over time, so that they have the ability to just, in one simple glance, kind of understand where they're at in their health journey. And it's the same on the physician side. So the reports are more numerous on the physician side, and it gets into some of the programming that's available for different populations, whether it's, you know, Medicare or in certain situations, Medicaid, telepsych, telehealth, we're able to produce reports that are broader on a more population level that summarize the opportunity from the provider side. But on the individual side, it's really direct to the conditions that they're facing and what upcoming clinical requirements are needed to sort of take care of their health and that condition while giving consideration to the socioeconomic factors that are sort of either adversely or positively helping their overall health. Can you talk a little bit about how many doctors in the United States uh, are using your platform roughly and then similarly uh, patients who are enrolled and who you're providing insights for? So I can't specifically talk about how many physicians are on the platform, but I can tell you that in the Chicagoland area, which is where we launched, so we're just over a year old, we have over 80,000 patients on the platform right now, and we expect that number to be upwards of 150,000 by the end of quarter two of this year. And these are largely in underserved areas, so disproportionately uh, Medicaid patients, but it's agnostic. So a lot of private, some commercial, uh, and obviously Medicare and Medicare Advantage patients as well. Okay. So one year, assume for discarded sake, let's say that you've been collecting data and providing insights to majority of these 80,000 patients for the last three to six months. Do you have any understanding of how leveraging your solution may have positively impacted the quality of care provided by physicians to their patients? So in terms of quality of care, the way we measure our approach is, right, we ultimately want to get to, are we driving outcomes from our insights? And health outcomes are really hard to change. Sometimes you're changing behaviors that have been in place for 20 to 30 years for an individual. So we look more at metric-based management to say, is this patient and physician doing the right thing that will eventually result in improved health outcomes. So we've seen a reduction in no-show rates in our hospitals. We've seen improvement in certain service revenue lines, primarily around preventive care. And we've also seen some improvement through the patient surveys, the CAP surveys, and the patient experience while they're in the clinic. Now, again, as we run longer and longer, we'll get to see if those metric-based improvements that we're tracking turn into you know, improved health outcomes from a vital perspective. But right now, we're starting to see that the patients that have been engaged in the platform, the physicians that are utilizing the platform are starting to see the, you know, I don't want to call them check the box, but the right things being done at the right time by the patient and the provider that should lead to improved health outcomes for those individuals and populations. 
Yeah, and to be completely transparent, in order to get Medicare funds from the government and the percentage of reimbursement that comes back to hospital, you have to basically check those boxes. Right? You have to report on readmission rates, certain utilization uh, metrics. So it is very important for hospital systems in particular that they meet government guidelines when it comes into these numbers. Um, so speaking of that, uh, specifically when it comes down to readmission rates, have you seen any improvement as a result of using your platform? We have. So one of the reports that we'll generate with you know, potentially uh, preventable readmissions is looking at where the high utilizers or you know, frequent flyers are coming from pre-admission, where they're going to post-discharge, and kind of the time between discharge and readmission and the condition that they're facing. And with that, we can kind of triangulate to, okay, is it a behavioral health condition? Is it a, a clinical condition? And if so, we create essentially a patient profile that says one of the patients that we're managing or a patient that looks like a patient that we're managing, be it homeless, be it you know um, a certain disease like schizophrenia, when that patient hits the emergency room, we surround them with the clinical care needed to make sure that they don't come back. So it's really the process of identifying, okay, who are the people that are driving these readmissions? What does their profile look like? And then going forward, do we have sort of flags in place to identify when these patients exactly or lookalikes are coming in the door to make sure that we're doing the right things from treatment through discharge through follow-up to make sure that they don't get back. Gotcha. About three or four months ago, we had a podcast with uh, Teladoc and we we're talking in terms of um, most common conditions that they were facilitating telemedicine services for, and I think their number was about like 70 to 80% of those conditions were for chronic diseases. And I have to assume there's an overlap, of course, here as well, in terms of the, the patients whose data is being fed into your system, just holistically, probably a good chunk of doctor visits, HR visits are tied to chronic conditions that are managed. What are the chronic conditions that your platform can provide actionable insights for? And can you talk about any you know, percentages when it comes down to these chronic conditions versus other conditions? More specifically, you know, like let's say you know, 80, 90% of your patients have chronic conditions or they don't, et cetera. Yeah, so we incorporate all the patients that are attributed to a provider into the platform. So we're running the analytics and getting the insights on every patient, but the focus when we partner is to say, who are your highest costs slash highest complexity patients and surrounding those patients with the resources and the insights needed to treat their condition. So I would say that the majority of the patients that were working with the providers to action on have at least one condition. And in most cases, they have multiple comorbidities. And there's, I can't really give you percentages on which condition is the most prevalent, but we do look at hypertension and obesity and diabetes as three conditions that we target for change in improvement. Uh, they're the ones that can be actioned the most through lifestyle changes. But then there's other sort of 
lesser known correlations between some conditions and social factors that we try and drive insights through. For example, patients that have COPD, we know that during winter months, as you know, here in Chicago, it can get cold and that cold air can affect the acute exacerbation of some of those pulmonary conditions. The same goes with air quality. For those patients that have asthma, we know that an increase in ED admissions for asthma patients occurs during summer months of August and September based on the the conditions of, uh, you know, wherever the patient is located. So there are correlations across every condition that we look at. It's dependent on the geography. It's dependent on the patient population. And it's also dependent on, you know, demographics of the patient. A patient that has COPD that's 70 is uh, different in terms of risk than a patient that was newly diagnosed with COPD and they might be, you know, 40, 44, 45 years old. Gotcha, gotcha. What type of dashboards would hospital administrators see if they leverage your solution and what are some of the the insights that they can get by working with you? Sure. So what we can show is is a number of different cuts of the data. Um, Anything from patients that are eligible for certain programs that are reimbursable, uh, that are not enrolled in those programs, to utilization of patients by different payer mixes, to overall just readmission rates, ED utilization, and summarizing kind of the social, uh, what we call a social risk score for the patients that are attributed to a specific provider. And, and this is mostly important because these organizations that we work with usually serve, you know, a community that makes up five to six zip codes. And there's a lot of community social factors, neighborhood factors that afflict all of the patients alike that if the providers are aware of, they can get ahead of and either help reduce costs because the patient will not need emergency or high cost services because they'll be you know, better taken care of in a preventive manner and also just promote wellness and health. So the metrics that we look at cut across a number of different factors from revenue opportunities to cost reduction opportunities to risk stratification of the patients by condition, by the social factors. It really depends on um, what that organization's strategic objective is. And we try to customize the platform from a dashboard perspective, uh, especially when it comes to administration, to see what they need to see in real time for the patients that they're treating. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Can you talk about your company and where you see it within the next two to three years, like you're one year old, you've rolled out the solution, uh, you have tens of thousands of patients being monitored, doctors, hospital system, et cetera. How do you think your platform will evolve in the short to medium term? Yeah, so we, our plan is to continue to grow. So we're now um, outside of Illinois looking to expand into new markets. Our biggest priority is continuing to refine the algorithms and the data sets that we're using to drive insights. Uh, There's a lot of activity around social determinants of health. There's a lot of companies that are popping up, you know, saying that they have a solution for this or that component of it. We want to be known as the, the solution that most accurately ties what we're saying we're able to predict and drive insights towards with the actual actionable outcomes. I think that there's going to be opportunity for us to do more in the form of connecting social services and neighborhood services to 
physician's office and other care providers. As we all know, it's no longer just a clinic or a hospital, but healthcare is starting to move from that setting to neighborhood to the community. And I truly believe that in the next five to 10 years, it will be individualized health where individuals have access to their medical records, where they have insights around what the social factors are that are impacting their health. And that's where we want to be positioned is that provider of choice when it comes to the data insights and clinical guidance for an individual from a population perspective. So do you think it's possible that we are actually moving towards more of a democratized use of data, particularly when it comes down to uh, patients owning their data and showing it? I do. Um, I think that, you know, the new standards, the new fire standards have created a very robust ability to pull in all sorts of different types of patient records. And the fact that we now use technology devices that by and large aren't too different, whether you're on an iPhone or Android, and the ability to collect this data, aggregate it, it's only a matter of time before organizations start to figure out creative and innovative ways to get that data back in the hands of patients so that they can use it personally. There's a lot of barriers. There's a lot of big players in the space that I don't think want that to happen, uh, specifically the EHR organizations. I don't think that those are going to go away. I think they may be more relegated to their traditional function of billing and coding. But ultimately, I think that for healthcare as an industry to make the changes and improvements in terms of cost and quality of care for patients, that it will have to move towards a democratized model of data sharing in, in some, some capacity. Nate, thank you so much for uh, all your uh, insights on this podcast. Uh, good luck with your solution. And I am looking forward to see how it's going to uh, evolve in the years to come. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Healthcare Weekly Podcast. Don't forget to visit us at healthcareweekly.com. Subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast app to get a notification every time a new episode is released. Do you know of an inspirational health leader who should be on our podcast? Email us at hello at healthcareweekly.com with details. Healthcare Weekly Podcast. Healthcare innovation starts here.